Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Did you know that there are over 200 episodes of Outtakes for you to listen to whenever you want and when you want? Head to joy.org.au forward slash outtakes to catch up on our exclusive interviews with amazing filmmakers, incredible actors and industry powerhouses including Barry Jenkins, John Waters, Sue Maslin, Sebastian Lelio, Yen Tan, Joel Edgerton, Anna Kokonos, John Cameron Mitchell, Warwick Thornton, Luca Guadagnino, Rose Trochet and more. On Outtakes, we cover all of the best movie festivals across Australia and explore queer film against a broader cultural, political and cinematic backdrop. We also like to look at what's winning awards and have an opinion or two on everything from classic to modern cinema and the importance of camp. Check us out at joy.org.au forward slash outtakes and on Spotify and iTunes. Outtakes is the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9. You bitch! Listening to Outtakes, the home of Queer Cinema on Joy 94.9. Gina, Conrad, Allen, and Daniel taking you through for the next hour. Now, this week on Outtakes, as the COVID 19 public health crisis continues to take a devastating toll on industries around the world, we are turning our attention to the impact that COVID 19 has had on our local film and cinema industries. Film productions are in hiatus, cinemas are closed, and the industry is scrambling to find a way to survive what could be a very bleak few months. So what does this mean for local production, for cinephiles, for all of us who depend on cinema to reflect our lives back to us or to entertain us? Well, to help us unpack these timely and important questions, we're going to be joined this evening by Cinema Nova CEO Christian Connolly, who's a good friend of the program, and local Australian filmmaker Sophie Hardcastle, whose new film Cloudy River is now available for streaming on SBS On Demand. So Connolly joins us to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on Cinema Nova and like cinemas around Australia, while Hardcastle joins us to talk about the effect of the pandemic on local production, as well as her bold new ode to freedom, flirtation and fluidity, which may just be your next binge-worthy online treat. So Gina, Alan, Conrad, a lot to get through, but, you know, it's been a really busy and important few weeks. It has. It definitely has been a busy few weeks. And you mentioned the word bleak before, bleak for what us almost as viewers are also going to be experiencing. But when it comes to thinking about how this impacts the industry, you know, globally, we know, I think, 120,000 thousand people were reported in the guardian to have lost jobs in hollywood what that means here in australia though there's you know it's also reported that about 60 australian productions have been closed or put on hiatus which means nobody's getting paid and that's about 20,000 australians in our industry that have currently lost their jobs um Mm. And it's, yes, it's a it's a figure that's kind of been reported and, you know, the industry employs about 25, you know, thousand Australians that contribute to this kind of billion dollar industry. But this is people who don't 
already have steady work. This is a lot of freelancers that work in this industry. So bleak is <laughs> depressing bleak is and bleak, bleak mm. is the word. And look, we, we will be talking about what our agencies are kind of doing to kind of deal with this um, a little bit later, but it is a really shit time for mm. and it looks, and it looks viewers like to those who are trying to make content. And it looks like potentially the Australian government's uh, stimulus package is probably going to overlook these people, Gina. Look, there is talk at the moment we're waiting for more advice in regards to how, you know, we, we know there's the job seeker, job worker, job, all these things, but... The job keeper payment is really what we've got our eyes keeper. on. What we, it's what we've got our eyes on for filmmakers because we know that um, whether you're employed through an eligible company or whether you've got your own ABN, you may well be able to apply for that job keeper payment. So I think that of all the new stimulus packages... Or, or programs, um, that funding is the most likely to address independent filmmakers, contractors, uh, people mm-hmm. who are part yeah. of the film industry with their own ABM. But, but the problems are much bigger than that. Yes, um, there will be a plethora of filmmakers who aren't captured by that payment. No, they're going to um, fall what about through those cracks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. And what about our cinemas? Um, you know, what about what about our production houses? What about all of these companies that may fall through the cracks of these various stimulus packages? And and so that's why I think it's really important that we have someone like Christian on the program um, who will be able to address you know, those questions um, and able to talk to us about the impact of the public health crisis on uh, Cinema Nova and like cinemas, but also on the industry more broadly. Because we've got to remember, we before all this was happening, we were already talking about how does this industry keep thriving at a mm. time when people aren't going to the cinema. And also mm. not only the ind- cinemas themselves, but filmmakers are thriving when we know that, you know, there are stations out there that are already looking to cut our local content quotas. So we're already an industry that is bleeding because we're fighting to keep you know, making Australian content, you know, the arts, you know, basically arts have been removed from, you know, uh, as, as a policy kind of positioning in government. So we we kept, we were bleeding already. We were just crawling to survive as it was. And now this is happening. And, yes, so many people in so many industries are, are in, a, in a hard position, but we're already coming on the back foot. You can also look well, to other industries already to gauge how some of them are going to um, come back after this. News Corp has just cut 60 community newspapers being published mm. around Australia, um, which is you know hundreds of jobs. But they're talking up the fact that their main metro mastheads are going to remain. So if you look at that, it's going to have this real national focus, which will, again, you know, contents down the kind of media that we get. And I could imagine this will happen in the film and television industry as well. Well, well, that's just it. I mean, we have to find a way. And by we, I mean everyone in all industries, including the Australian film industry, we have to find a way to weather this terribly bleak storm, um, a way that's going to allow us to continue to have thriving industries and thriving film sectors after the storm has passed. Uh, That's really what Screen Australia is trying to do. On the 27th of March, Graham Mason, who's the CEO of Screen Australia, penned an open coronavirus impact update for the full screen sector. Gina, have you had a chance to read through that uh, open message? Yeah, I really have. And look, Graham's focus of that message is you know, it is a focus about recovery. So it's a really kind of positive message. And Graham states, you know, our immediate focus has been working with productions one by one to ensure that we're in the best position to go on hiatus and continue to continue shooting later in the year. Um, He's also addressed one of the most common questions that obviously had come to the agency once this started happening. People just assumed that Screen Australia was stopping or that funding was stopping and he just wanted to reiterate the message that the agency is still open and yes, they are still taking applications. He kind of calls it a business as usual, unusual kind of approach. But the the main part of the message in, in that impact statement was basically to say their main goal at the moment is to be ready for recovery. Mm. Now, the, they've definitely put their money where their mouth is because a few days later and, and literally um, on the 3rd of April, um, they have put to 
basically put out that they're increasing their story development premium fund. So a budget of what was 1.4 million has now gone to 3.4 million dollars to the kind of premium plus. But this is to make sure that any work in development, and when we talk about development, any story development, any basically they want to make sure that any work that can be done without having to have a crew and cast and everyone together, that work can be done and can be paid so that when restrictions are lifted, you can go and basically start making. So they're really pushing that development funding and it's not development funding that just goes to anyone and emerging practitioners this is people with career you know career records and also with market interest so if you've got a streamer that is interested in your project well now's the time that you apply get everything written to the best get every agreement done to the best of your capacity so that when the window opens and you can walk outside with a crew you're ready to shoot and that's a really impressive um, increase to funding that they've given out and so, where, Gina, do you know where that money's coming from? Um, look, realistically, right now they're not going to be funding. Um, this is my absolute guess, but they're mm. not going to be funding productions to be going ahead. Yes, anything that they've given money to, that's still there, but nothing, no other new work is going to kind of be going out. So I assume that's where the savings are coming from. Okay. Um, you know, Placements can't go ahead because they, you know, they can't pay for people to be in a placement right now. Mm. So I think they're kind of looking at that six-month window going, what else would have we been paying out? Travel grants are not going to be going out because nobody's allowed to travel. Mm. So there is money that they've probably gone, right, well, this money would have been going here. Move That's it around. not happening. Mm. Yeah. I think it's just moving it around. Um, mm. I was now, really we- interested to hear um, a lot of industries are being told, you know, look at this, try and find the silver lining. You know, let's try and use this disruption as an opportunity. But I, I've been also kind of really sympathetic to the fact that for some people, you know, sure, you know, being agile for work and things like that um, can create some really interesting opportunities. But when it comes to creative industries, I think, you know, we really do have to um, just give them an opportunity to try and uh, recover as quickly as they can, but be realistic about it. I think the fact that we're going to have such a strange period where, you know, there's going to come a time where there's not going to be a lot of new things coming out because of this Mm. weird lag. And, you know, so we're going to have like content that's been made in the past year coming out hopefully in the next six months or so and then this quite strange I guess hopefully it'll create a glut of really great content out (laughs) after this but what does it look like I think that's going to be really interesting to hear Christian's take on that as well. And the thing is, I mean, I'm I'm personally, as an emerging practitioner, tired of seeing, you know, the memes going, wow, you've got such an opportunity to be creative. <laughs> that's, you know, this lockdown as if it's a privilege. Well, that's a really privileged response. You know, that's assuming people can pay their bills. They put food on the table. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, you know, I've got a two-year-old toddler running around. There is no such thing as a time to do your best work when you're homeschooling a child. Like, it's a real privileged response. Mm. But like you, I'm I'm keen to see what comes out of this creative period for some. Now, Screen Australia has also collated a new COVID-19 resource directory for the screen sector. This is just part of its um, broad approach to dealing with the impact of the public health crisis. Gina, have you had a chance to look at the resource directory? I'd be interested to hear your take on that too. Look, I have had a look at the resource directory, but realistically, if this is the industry you're interested in, You'll have seen these directories, not only, I mean, Film Victoria, our local body, are pointing to these directories as well, but a lot of the kind of agencies and industry groups and art groups and, you know, things from afters and any industry groups, they're all kind of starting, they're all kind of pointing to the same things that you can do. But if you are interested, my advice is go to screenaustralia.gov.au, sign up for their um mouse and you'll get the latest information. Well, we are spotlighting the way that COVID-19 is affecting the uh, cinema and local film industries this evening on Outtakes. Um, Coming up next, we're speaking with Christian Connolly, who's the CEO of Cinema Nova. We're speaking with Connolly about the effect that COVID-19 and the public health crisis has had 
on Cinema Nova and like cinemas around Australia. Later in the program, we're also speaking with Sophie Hardcastle, who's a, a local filmmaker about the effect of the pandemic on local production, uh, as well as her bold new program, which is streaming on SBS On Demand. All that and more coming up this evening on Outtakes. Joy to the world! joy.org.au You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9, where all evening this evening we are looking at the way that COVID-19 and the public health crisis that it's engendered has affected our cinema and film industries here in Australia. So we know that film productions are in hiatus, cinemas are closed, but what does this mean for the industry and what does it mean for us, for all of us who depend on cinema to reflect our lives and to entertain us? Well, these are the kinds of questions that we're unpacking over the course of this evening. And to help us unpack these, I think they're really important questions, we're joined now by Cinema Nova CEO Christian Connolly, who's a good friend of the program and has agreed to join us this evening to work through some of these questions. Christian, thank you so much for joining us on Outtakes. My pleasure, Daniel. So, Christian, I guess the most uh, easiest way to start this question is what is um, Cinema Nova's response been to this whole pandemic and how are you and the team doing? Uh, look, I think we're, we're holding up pretty well, if I'm going to be honest. Um, we, I mean, because we were kind of caught up in the, the crisis very early, uh, people may recall that in the very, very early days of, um, of the infection showing up in Victoria, uh, that we were named as a location where somebody who later was found to be positive with the coronavirus, um, we were named named and shamed, if you will, by the uh, mm. by the government, mm. and um, and that was frustrating at the time because uh, anyone who's been sort of following that stuff will know that that all that sort of naming and shaming of where people had been and whatnot kind of finished about a week after it started. So mm. we were mm. we were we felt a little bit sort of hard done by there, but. Um, we already had in place plenty of things to kind of uh, uh, try and address the problem uh, with increased cleaning and we had reduced um, capacities in cinemas, etc. Um, but as a result of kind of having to think about it a lot earlier than maybe a lot of other theatres had to, when the time came uh, for us to close, uh, it was something that we'd already kind of been giving some thought to. Uh, we'd already kind of run through various scenarios of, of how we would react, etc. So... Uh, to be honest, um, when the news came, uh, it was actually more of a relief than anything else because we were waiting for the government to kind of make the call for us. I mean, we were going to stay open as long as we could, mm. and we we stayed up right until the uh, the Sunday night um, before the Monday, which is when they said that cinemas had to close by, couldn't operate past noon. Um, uh, but you know, it allowed us to kind of have everything in place. Subsequently, um, thanks to the uh, um, the job keeper. Um, uh, subsidy that's been announced by the government. Um, uh, practically all of our staff will be looked after um, uh, until we're able to reopen. And uh, in the case of myself and many of my executive team, I mean we've we've got leave, etc., which we're we're currently taking. I mean this is not how I anticipated using my long service oh, leave. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, that's <laughs> devastating. But um, but if I'm going to be very, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, it is. I'll say that. Um, the thing is that when whenever you go on leave, when you are you are in a role such as mine, uh, if you're going on a holiday or whatever, you can't quite shake that concern in the back of your mind about how are things going on back at the farm. And so, to be honest, even though I can't go anywhere or do anything particularly exciting outside of my house, um, not having to actually worry about uh, the business whilst on leave is actually not a bad thing. And so, you know, we're, we're all um, we're all still keeping in, t- in touch. Um, Obviously, we've got to do uh, regular uh, checks of the site. Uh, that downpour the other day, uh, we mm-hmm. kind of made us uh, have to go in and make sure that we didn't have anything going on there. And thankfully, we were able to, um, you know, uh, catch that before it got uh, uh, too bad. And um, and we're still catching up once a week just to make sure that everybody's uh, across what's going on in terms of um, uh, the subsidies and job seeker allowance, etc., uh, as well as what our uh, sort of general social media and marketing approach is as we go through this. Good on you. It feels like you've uh, found that silver lining as well. Well, you, you've got to. I think the thing is, I mean, one could go and sort of say, oh, you know, throw your hands in the air and say, oh, you know, the, the sky is falling. But um, uh, as anybody who would recall any of our conversations um, prior to all of this going on, um, 
they would recall that we had a terrific summer and obviously mm. uh, mm. I think the last time we all spoke was um, uh, just before the Academy Awards and uh, and obviously Parasites. when Fabulous Parasite wins. went on to win, yeah, which Yay. was an, absolutely an amazing uh, event for us. Um, we, we, we were in a perfect sort of the box seat in terms of um, – uh, the, enjoying the, the benefits of the Academy Award winners. And mm. so uh, we, we had a very, very strong summer as a result. And for the weeks that were immediately after the Academy Awards, which thankfully was was earlier, if people recall now, I mean, it was all so long ago, but in retrospect, it was such a blessing that it was like about three weeks earlier than it normally was because mm. uh, we were able to make a lot of money from Parasite uh, in that sort of um, month, month and a half uh, before we had to close down. So we're, I, I feel we're well poised. Uh, to resume trading um, once we're eventually given the all clear in one form or another by the government. I'd love to know, um, Christian, your observations of the weeks leading up to the mandated closure. Did you see mm. ticket sales start to drop off? Yeah, we, we did, undoubtedly. Um, I mean, people, people, it was actually fascinating. I mean, um, the sort of the box office wonk, W-O-N-K, in me um, really made me, allowed me to focus on behaviour of audiences and I was sort of like, oh, this is interesting. And so I was do- doing some sort of deep deep dive digging in, sort of trying to work out who it was that wasn't coming and trying to effectively work out whether or not we were going to see uh, a particular cohort abandon, abandon us whilst they still being supported by others. But what we did discover is that across the board, it was all parts of the community, old and young, who were kind of going and saying, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Um, and then, mm. you know, but thankfully, I mean, even though um, even though trade was certainly a, a fraction of what it was uh, when we were, you know, prior to all of this, even when even at the weekend before we, the weekend that occurred before we eventually closed was not a disaster. And uh, and so we were, we were still profitable, uh, even with um, massively reduced box office income. Christian, you were also hosting film festivals and MQFF were one of, you know, uh, you know, our primary queer festival that, you know, kind of closed. When you saw festivals also taking the hit, did that kind of go, dang, this is not only just our stuff, but it's the it's the kind of festivals that we've invited in are going to be suffering in this space? Well, again, I mean, just have, being on the front foot uh, on those early days of when it all sort of started to dawn on the Australian uh, people in the industry of what was going to happen. Um, we were we were able to contact uh, some of our um, festival colleagues and sort of begin conversations with them early and say, all right, well, look, we can see what's happening here, so let's just put that on ice and let's do this to save people kind of spending money unnecessarily. Thankfully, Transition Film Festival managed to come in just under the wire and had a had a record uh, festival just before um, before the COVID nineteen hit the fan. But as you say, Gina, I mean, um, it was so unfortunate for MQFF because they had to close after their Effectively after their first weekend, and um, and that was uh, that was very disappointing for us, because we're big big supporters of the festival. But uh, I'll be honest with you and say that at the opening night uh, event at the Jam Factory, uh, we were already in conversations with um, with Daniel and Maxwell uh, and Spiro at MQFF at that event. Um, myself and a couple of other exhibitors were also there, the, the folks from Village and um, some people from Interstate, and we were all kind of like talking to one another uh, as the box office for that particular evening all came in uh, and sort of just doing comparisons to say, okay, what, what are we down by? And I think that that particular Thursday, I think we were down about 50% on a standard Thursday. Wow. And that's partially because the films were, you know, were pretty weak, um, pretty old at that point. We, um, we didn't have any major pictures coming into the marketplace at the time, but we were able to feed that information to um, the MQFF executive and sort of give them a heads up so that they knew what was going to happen um, for themselves. And, I mean, we've already been, uh, we've already kind of um, started to discuss uh, how best to uh, ensure that MQFF gets back on track uh, once we're at the other side of this because, uh, you know, we need that festival to thrive and um, and we'll be doing everything that we can in order to make sure that... Uh, it's not um, permanently damaged by the events of, um, of this year's festival. So let me ask you this then, Christian. W- what happens next? So obviously there are a number of films that are slated for release that are now not going to have a release. Mm. Um, what can we expect? What's the plan at Cinema Nova? Is there a plan? Are we looking at two or three months without at cinemas? Are we looking at longer? Are we looking at shorter? Where do we go from here? Well, I mean, I suppose we're all in a similar situation here. We're all in we're all in the dark, um, no pun intended, in terms of when things are actually going to uh, kind of you know come good again. 
We've we've been. I've been very sort of. Um, I'm very good in a crisis, uh, thankfully, and uh, and uh, and I was saying to my team very early on. Uh, a lot of people will recall the early messaging was sort of like a couple of weeks, and I said, just put that out of your heads. I said, this is a three month ordeal. This is what we're going to be dealing with, and um, and they and they were able to kind of recalibrate uh, in in relation to that. But um, anybody who's following the trades, uh, which are still reporting on um, what's going on internationally, be it either Deadline or Variety or even any of the um, sort of the fan sites, uh, will know that um, the industry is doing one of two things at the moment. They're basically taking their films that they know are locks, big, big pictures, be it either the Marvel pictures or Wonder Woman or even um, the Wes Anderson picture, and they're pushing those films off to kind of like a date which seems feasible now. Um, the news this morning came out that um, I think Black Widow was moving into November. Uh, it was originally mm-hmm. going to release in March uh, and is, uh, is obviously going um, uh, a lot later now. Uh, and Mulan, which is the live-action uh, adaptation of the animation uh, feature, that's now gone into July. Now, I think that's a little bit um, a little bit early, if I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. However, I do know that there is two versions of this picture, and one of those is um, English and one of those is... Um, is for the uh, Asian-speaking markets, and uh, and I would I, I think it's conceivable that what we'll see is that Mulan might release in certain Asian territories where they've they're out the other side around July. But I think that what we will find is that maybe the English language version of that film will release later. Um, and also, I think a lot of people need to uh, take stock of um, what we learned today about uh, a small film that wouldn't be on very many people's radars called Artemis Fowl, which uh, which was a Disney adaptation, probably best summarised as being something like Harry Potter meets Men in Black. And this picture's been bouncing around the Disney schedule for a while now. A uh, very expensive film, I'd say probably a budget of a north of 100 million US. Um, and that film this morning they've announced is going to go straight to Disney+. Plus. Now, uh, but on the same page, you've got the French Dispatch, the Wes Anderson picture, getting dated in um, in October, which would be a fraction of Artemis Fowl. So what I think we're seeing here is we're seeing the studios kind of looking at their product and saying, what can, what can we afford to basically just uh, not take a massive loss on publicity and marketing costs and just put straight onto streaming services? And what's worth holding over until the other side? Because I think we've actually got, in the case of Artemis Fowl, something that was probably going to be... Um, a bit of a disappointment for the studio, and I think they've just sort of said, okay, let's cut our losses on this one. But the films we know are big, like Black Widow or uh, any of the other massive franchise pictures, let's keep those um, on ice until we get out the other side. And I think that's true of our industry as well, the independent side of things too. I think we'll exactly the same thing will happen with us. We'll we'll see a few films kind of go by the wayside, but I think the the key pictures, the films that were important that are important to us, uh, will will still be there um, when people do return to cinemas because. At the end of the day, I think that, as we've seen with this Artemis Fowl um, decision today and the other Disney films, is that uh, the studios still recognise the the value of the theatrical experience uh, in terms of actually positioning a film uh, for audiences uh, for later parts of, of a film's release on home entertainment or streaming. Uh, Christian, look, thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening on Outtakes. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Um, we're thrilled that you could join us to talk through what's been hard for everyone and must be very difficult for you and the full team at Cinema Nova. Um, we wish you all the best health and the best of luck in getting through this, and we can't wait to catch another film in Cinema oh, Nova yeah. as soon as possible. <laughs> yes, please. I can't wait either. Look, we are uh, spotlighting um, the way that COVID-19 is impacting the cinema and film industries in Australia this evening on Outtakes. That was Christian Connolly speaking about the effect on cinemas like Cinema Nova. Coming up next, we're continuing our look at the way that the uh, public health crisis is impacting uh, local film and cinema industries. So stay tuned. There's more coming up on Outtakes right after this. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. You are listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9, where all evening we have been looking at the way that the COVID-19 public health crisis is affecting our local film and cinema industries. Obviously, um, it's affected all industries really across the world. Um, but we're zeroing in this evening on what this means for all of us who love cinema. Obviously, films, are, film productions are in hiatus, cinemas are closed, and this will have an impact on the way that we digest our 
cinema. Uh, just a moment ago, we were speaking with Christian Connolly, the CEO of Cinema Nova, about the way that the current lockdowns have affected cinemas around the country. And coming up shortly, we're speaking with Sophie Hardcastle, who's an independent filmmaker. She does have a new project available on SBS On Demand for uh, streaming, but we'll also be chatting to her about the way that the current pandemic is affecting local production. Um, certainly a number of bodies have responded um, to the crisis. We've looked at the response from Screen Australia already, but interesting response, Conrad, from ACME. Yeah, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image was actually in quite a, a unique position because they um, were actually already closed for a $40 million redevelopment, but they have um, really jumped on board to help support you know, Melbourne's art scene, which has obviously been pretty um, devastated, particularly the cinema scene as well, is what we've been talking about. Um, and they've taken their Melbourne Cinematic screenings um, that were, were going to run at the Capitol, they're now pushing them um, as an online program. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that they're using films that are already out there on streaming services. Mm. So um, coming up, they've got um, films that are featured on SBS On Demand um, so you can literally log in and watch them. Um, So they're trying to, I guess, support still those programs, keep them active. But um, yeah, out of everyone, I'm thinking that uh, Acme would be counting their lucky stars at the moment um, that they were happened to be closed already and, and having a, quite a large redevelopment happening but I'm assuming this is going to have quite an effect on their reopening um, and when they launch again as well so interesting times for Acme I was just going to add another really nice thing they're doing and recommend people go on their website that they're running a twice uh, weekly series of workshops for industry professionals and even enthusiasts to kind of brush up on some of their like storytelling take uh, storytelling skills and even budgetary kind of producing skills they're free and they're online so please go check that stuff out as well no, I love that. And they've also, they've also augmented uh, a new online film club, um, uh, which is, uh, as Conrad said, referring back to some online content. What I loved as well was their collaboration with MQFF, and they've now produced a kind of online viewing guide to, uh, you know, the top queer films that you can access online in conjunction with MQFF. I think they were listening to our program a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> weren't they? I think yes, you might be right. That's all our idea. Absolutely. You know, all the films on there, we, I think we talked about each and every one of them. <laughs> I think you're well, right. Of course, we, uh, we, we ran a program just a couple of weeks ago on the best queer content available online for your now binging pleasure. But we also, um, the week before that, actually, we um, spotlit MQFF in the way that it had dealt with the current crisis in, of course, closing the festival midway through. Um, of course, statements from Spiro and Maxwell, um, both illuminating in that respect. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, there's really only been one statement from MQFF and and that was uh, on the 15th of March announcing that the that the program would essentially be postponed uh, from the 16th um, and uh, you know this the the statement goes on to, to let us know that uh, that they will be working with uh, the community and they'll be letting us know in the coming weeks when uh, the festival be will be rescheduled later on in the year and uh, and and we have been at uh, advised as well that uh, the, the money that we've spent on tickets uh, will be honoured at a, at a future date. So uh, we just have to hang in there and wait to hear more from MQFF. Now, you know, we've been talking about local film bodies, local organisations, local cinemas. I also think it's quite telling to look at the way some international kind of monoliths in the kind of global cinema industry or film industry are dealing with the current crisis. Um, case in point is the Walt Disney Company. And I know Christian touched on the way that Disney has been reallocating or rescheduling its um, more anticipated cinematic releases like Artemis Fowl, which, it's, uh, which is now heading straight to a streaming platform, Disney Plus, uh, and Black Widow, which has been push back to I think uh, August was the date. Um, interestingly, uh, you know, as you'd expect, the company announced um, that it will have to essentially stand down non-essential employees as of mid-April, um, which, you know, frankly, uh, we were all expecting after Disneyland and Disney World shut their doors to the public in the middle of March, uh, we really without a, um, a date set to reopen. I mean, online, a lot of people have been talking about 
June the 1st as a potential reopening date because both resorts are actually accepting reservations from June 1. But, you know, we just don't know. And so it's not uh, not surprising to see employees of companies like the Walt Disney Company, perhaps the biggest movie production house in the world, uh, essentially standing down most of its employees. Bob Iger, uh, who's um, the uh, CEO, um, as it were, of, of the Walt Disney Company, has foregone his entire salary this year. And that's um, got to be other- that, that's got to be two billion dollars there, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> that should be enough to to pay uh, all of their staff and give them a raise exactly. as well. Possibly at the happiest place on earth, mm. not anymore. Like really, well. Funnily enough, the happiest place on earth is said to have had access to thousands of N95 masks, which are, of course, now much in need um, across the US. And they've donated 100,000 masks from the Disney World resorts to frontline hospitals, which is fantastic. But you know what I also love is that they announced that they're going to be donating all of their rain ponchos. Now, if anyone's been watching social media lately, that you've seen the, the very creative ways that people are creating their own masks. <laughs> using various plastic accoutrements. And I'm just wondering if, that's, if that is the, the reason behind this donation of ponchos, that they're anticipating that people will be that desperate. Not that that's something that we're um, pushing advocating or advocating for. for. They should donate the Mickey Mouse gloves. I, I know when I travel there, you could wear Mickey yeah. Mouse hands and that can stop from touching actually the distance is probably the distance you're allowed to social distance from and somebody. also touching and also touching, touching your face your that's face. one way yes. that's one way of, of, of changing your behavior do you think though, that we do you think that we're actually going to come out of this that there's going to be any chance that disney amazon netflix everything are really going to be able to turn around and say yeah it was a really tough time for us i mean they are going to be making a lot of money with disney mm. plus bye bye is is definitely not going mm. to go hungry anytime soon mm. i really hope that they um are open and honest about this i doubt for a fact that this is going to have that much of an impact on them they've well, never shared that data though i don't mm. think they're gonna be they sharing won't. that later on amazon it, amazon's it already t- amazon's already doing awful things to its employees because they know that people are desperate for work Um, and that all links back into everything that they put out online so I don't trust the large corporations yeah it's a nice thing to put out that you're going to take pay cuts and forego your salary but at the end of the day you're overpaid and you make a lot of money and it's not going to affect you Uh, anyway let's be fair I mean yes they make a lot of money and you know that's that's one issue Um, but the other issue here is that production houses like Walt Disney Company rely on uh, ticket sales to, um, to to fund ongoing productions. Um, they, they just do. That's the way that it works. Mm. And so, you know, the question of whether you make titles like Black Widow or Mulan available online actually have far-reaching consequences because, mm. you know, there was a recent study published by MovieWeb um, in the US that looked at how much people were willing to pay per view for new titles like Mulan and Black Widow online. And what they found is that the average American was only willing to pay about six to eight dollars per view. Uh, and that would, that would entail if, if, if companies like Disney were to make films available online per view, uh, like Mulan, uh, you know, big new release, much anticipated films that ordinarily would gross billions of dollars. Mm. If they were to make those films available online for six to eight dollars, that would involve a massive cut to profit, which would really call into question uh, the capability of these companies to fund ongoing production. And quite apart from that, it would also raise very important questions for people like us, you know, for people like Christian at Cinema Nova about the viability of the cinema industry going forward. If, you know, these big budget, much anticipated films are to be made available on a pay-per-view basis online, you know, that that, that could raise really um, far-reaching and long-lasting questions and impacts in relation to the way that we digest cinema. Disney, well, Disney the- has spent a lot of time recently and money um, taking up 
other organizations and businesses and production houses as well and taking on a lot of content um maybe this will kind of even that out and they'll have to go back to what doing things in-house rather than trying to take over all of the other smaller players and hopefully those smaller players can fill the gap again oh i don't know i think if anything it's going to promote a kind of monopoly on on the market they already have that yeah. They already yeah. have that. They've already taken everything over. They've absorbed everything. Marvel, uh, Warner Brothers. And that's why they, I they think own everything. So that's I why think, I don't think they're going to suffer. No, and I think their war chest, you know, of savings is quite healthy, and we'll see them through. So mm. yeah, no sympathy for Disney from, from this end. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm and, not worried about them. What, that's for sure. What we were talking about off air with Christian is at the end of this, I think people are going to have have had their fill of streaming services when we're finally allowed out of these doors. And I, I, you know, again, queer romantic, but I see a resurgence in people wanting to go back to the cinemas and have that experience with other humans. I mean, people are going to be hugging and passionate like mad once the, you know, the... <laughs> Everything's lifted. Outdoor cinemas. Being in a cinema. Outdoor <gasps> cinemas are oh. going to have a boom, I'm sure. Oh. <laughs> Can you? I can't wait. Well, we are, of course, speaking this evening about the way that COVID-19 and the public health crisis it's engendered has impacted and affected uh, film and cinema industries around the world, but also particularly here in Australia. Uh, of course, we'll continue to keep you updated as um, the situation unfolds. Now, coming up next, we're speaking with uh, Sophie Hardcastle, who's the co-writer and co-director of a new Ode to Freedom, Flirtation and Fluidity streaming on SBS On Demand. It's Cloudy River, and we'll be chatting with Sophie about the impact of COVID-19 on local production, as well as this new film, which may just be your next binge-worthy treat. You're listening to Outtakes on Joy 94.9. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. You're listening to Outtakes, the home of queer cinema on Joy 94.9, where all evening we've been talking about the way that COVID-19 and the public health crisis that it's engendered has affected our local film and cinema industries. Obviously, this is going to have a dramatic effect on the way that films are made and the way that we watch films. Uh, We've spoken to Christian Connolly uh, already this evening about the effect of the crisis on Cinema Nova and cinemas like Cinema Nova. And we've looked at the way that different bodies are engaging with, uh, you know, the effects of the crisis. But, you know, we're also really interested to explore the way that the crisis is affecting local productions, like, for instance, uh, Sophie Hart. Hardcastle's new film, which is available on SBS On Demand. The film is Cloudy River. And Cloudy River follows the artist Emma, a.k.a. Cloudy, and her uh, musician boyfriend, River. And they're in a, they've been a, in a relationship built on openness, freedom and fluidity, but the challenges of loving more than one person are put to the test uh, when they move in together. Cloudy River asks whether you can truly be there for each other in an open relationship whilst pursuing the individual freedoms the relationship is founded on. We'll be talking to Sophie next about her film, uh, how it all came about, and what's coming up next uh, for her after uh, getting this new film out onto SBS On Demand. Here's a little taste of Cloudy River. I don't know how you guys do it. We've got this idea that our relationship is timeless. There are no real beginnings and no real ends, only clouds changing shape as they move across the sky. A river twisting overhead, flowering into stars. What the f***? Emma, I'm on a date. Maybe you love her, but you're not in love with her. I thought Charlotte knows about you, though. Emma? Yeah, of course. But she never actually wants to see. Hey. I don't know why you have a problem with this. I brought her here, and now you're... You are meant to be open, though, aren't you? Let's just forget it. You know, Em, this can't work unless we talk. Your work is going to blow everyone away. 
and I'm gonna be right there beside you. Hey. Oh, hell, Emma. Just off. Hey, did you call yourself my boyfriend? No. Yes, you did. They've already made up. Freaks. Well, that was the trailer to the new Australian feature, Cloudy River, which is really an ode to openness, freedom and fluidity. Uh, it's funded in part by Screen Australia and it is now available uh, on SBS On Demand. The reason that we're looking at this film this evening is, of course, because we're all spending a lot more time accessing online content. And really, you know, in the context of tonight's discussion, it's so important to continue to support locally funded and locally produced and locally made uh, cinema, which we can all now do from our homes. We did a program a couple of weeks back on some binge-worthy content, and indeed, Cloudy River made be your next binge-worthy treat. Uh, the film is directed in part and uh, co-written by Sophia Hardcastle, who joins us now. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us on Outtakes. Thank you for having me. Sophie, tell us about the film. Obviously, uh, it's screened at Mardi Gras Film Festival and now it's available online. What a treat to have it supported by these iconic platforms. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I think the biggest thing for us was just like having having SBS get behind it and having Mardi Gras Film Festival get behind it was just like immense validation for what we'd made and, and not only what we'd made, but what the show says, really. Well, what what would you like the show to say? It's about Emma and River and their open relationship and how they navigate that now that they're living together. They've only just moved in together um, and it's about how they're negotiating that space now that they're sharing a space. And I guess for us, for Charlie and I, who's my co-writing, co-director, we really just wanted this show to make these relationships legitimate and, you know, to give it that validation and say this is, real and this is um, like deserving of space is really what we wanted to say. Sophie, was I reading somewhere that this is kind of inspired by real life? You probably did read that because yeah, it was. <laughs> um, it's inspired by a open relationship that Charlie, were, Charlie and I were in in 2017 um, and we've kind of, sorry, I'll just, my phone's on loud. Um, it's yeah, so it's inspired by our relationship and then uh, we've like, fictionalised particular events. Um, but yeah, the, our, our relationship was kind of what the driving force behind the series. And I love that this is funded by Screen Australia, um, or at least in part it's funded by Screen Australia. Um, what did it mean to you to, to access this funding? How important was it? And, and what do you think the takeaway here for local filmmakers is? We self-financed the pre-production um, and kind of self-financed the the um, like shooting of the show, and that was done by our main character is a painter, and she has um, an exhibition in the show, and so we sort of made an exhibition and then sold the paintings and filmed the exhibition, and so it was just very like art funding art. Um, I love and then it. Once we'd... That's brilliant. <laughs> so meta. Very meta. Yeah. <laughs> so meta. Um, so we, that was how we like made it. But then we, we ended up like having filmed the show. We had no more money left. Um, and we needed all of the, uh, just everything that comes with um, post-production. And Screen Australia coming on board, I think, really took it to that next level, like made it the sort of like high quality, um, like visual piece that it is. And so, yeah, we, I mean, we just wouldn't have been able to make it had they not come on board. And I should also say that we also got um, funding part from Queer Screen. And so Queer Screen and Screen Australia getting behind us was really what got this show over the line. I'd be interested to know, obviously, we're all now in uncharted territory. Um, certainly uh, the film industry is struggling. Based on your experience as a filmmaker, you know, what's your message out there to filmmakers who are still trying to produce work like Cloudy River in the current climate? I think what this time calls for is for us to be really resourceful and really inventive and creative in the ways that we um, 
the ways that we like are able to create and make things. So I think that we need to, yeah, sort of be using, being really resourceful and like, um, and collaborating with other local uh, art makers, you know, to be like lending our skills to other creators and hopefully getting their um, their work and their effort back in return. You know, I think that, I mean, there's so, so much local talent. Um, and so I think this time and how much uncertainty there is really calls for us to be really creative in the, in, and find new new ways of making things. Can you give us some examples, Sophie? Are you, uh, what are you working on at the moment or what are you, how are you using this downtime or if it is even downtime to kind of set your path um, for your next steps into your next creative venture? Yeah, so, well, funnily enough, I've been based in the UK for the last two years and I came back here to to, uh, um, my book that's just come out, but that has all been cancelled now, so I've ended up with um, a lot of free time. (laughs) And Charlie and I are now using that um, to... We essentially want to use the Cloudy River feature or show that we made as a pilot for a much bigger show in which Cloudy and River, or Cloudy's her nickname, Emma and River, are living in a share house, like a much bigger share house, and kind of have it as an ensemble show. So that's what we're working towards at the moment. Well, this is the thing. I mean, the creativity that can come out of this time together, I mean, you kind of hope that one of your flatmates maybe has camera gear and is good at shooting and lighting because you could just imagine the sort of work that can come out of people. I mean, thinking back to a film like 52 Tuesdays, I mean, that was so unique in its filming that, you know, the cast and crew got together every Tuesday. Um, It's quite – we might actually see some real – gems come out of this period just from the way that people are working in this new space uh tangerine was shot on a on a uh, iphone, iPhone. Um, yeah. we could see now a film made entirely by tiktok <laughs> <laughs> i mean we're making radio by zoom so hey you just <laughs> you do what you do find ways yeah you do what you do Well, look, Sophie, thank you so much for joining us on Outtakes this evening. Of course, Cloudy River is available on SBS On Demand, one of the very many binge-worthy viewing options available there. If you do want to check out our guide to binge-worthy viewing options, now that you may be spending a little bit more time at home, do head to joy.org.au forward slash outtakes where you can catch our podcast, which deals with the best online viewing content that is also very queer. Also, a huge thank you to Christian Connolly from Cinema Nova. Um, we're really hoping that uh, we can get back into his cinema sometime soon and, and check out some latest films. But it was great to catch up with him and hear about what they're trying to do to keep things moving and um, you know, hear what he's uh, picking up and what's going on in the industry as well. So we wish them all the best and look forward to talking to him again soon. We will, of course, be keeping you updated on all of the developments um, regarding COVID-19 and the way that it continues to impact our cinema and film industries. But that is it for another week of Out. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. 